All right, picking up with, I believe this is part five of Amy Simple McPherson, and I like to entitle this uh, podcast Adventures in the City of Angels, and by City of Angels, I mean Los Angeles, California. So when Amy arrived in Los Angeles, she joked that all she had was a car, $10, and a tambourine, but she felt like the Lord had led her to Los Angeles to set up sort of a headquarters, a home base for her ministry. Uh, Her kids, she felt like, did need a more permanent home. They were constantly traveling, constantly on the move. And Amy herself, she was beginning to get a little bit older. And um, that life on the, uh, I guess you might call it the sawdust trail, that's a hard life. It uh, undoubtedly was. And so she found some land in Echo Park. It was a triangular piece of land. And that's where she felt like the Lord would have her build a church. So she started out with $5,000 in donations. And that was just enough to dig the foundation of the church. But it was enough. And the Lord brought in the money she needed. Not only did she receive donations in money, she also received donations in building material and contractors and... um, Construction workers, masons, they would donate their time to help with the church. And so that ended up saving a considerable amount of money. So she was able to build the church for a very reasonable amount of money. And the Lord helped supply those needs. So um, it was founded in 1923. Now a few facts about Angelus Temple. It was at that time the largest church in North America. And I got to throw this in guys. And it was built by a woman. The largest church in North America. It was the first mega church. And um, as an architectural achievement, it had the largest dome in the United States that was 125 feet wide. In the first seven years, an estimated 40 million people passed through its doors. These people were hungry for a touch of God. They were hungry to hear from God. The building was dedicated on January 1st, 1923. There's a picture that shows Amy standing next to the plaque. Uh, When it was dedicated, Amy is dressed in her uh, white dress, which she wore uh, for the majority of her preaching, uh, preaching career. And it says, dedicated under the cause of interdenominational and worldwide evangelism. Now, for the first several years, there were three services a day, every day of the week. And the building's capacity was 5,300, and it wasn't uncommon for it to be packed to capacity. Now, I want you to think about this. Now, I could understand out in, the, uh, out in a country area where there's not a lot of things to do for entertainment, where people would go to church because it was something to do. But guys, this was in Los Angeles, California. This was in Hollywood. After Hollywood started making movies, this was um, where there were plays, there were nightclubs, there were theaters, there were um, movies being made. There was everything imaginable going on. In Hollywood, in Los Angeles, and yet, and yet, and yet, they were able to draw enough of a crowd for three services a day, seven days a week. 
that tells you that the Lord was moving in that place. And that tells you there were people there that were hungry to hear from God, hungry for a touch of God, people that needed the Lord in their lives. Now, Amy was present at all these services as long as her strength held out. All right. Now, uh, something else that I want to talk about with respect to Angela's temple is there was so much charitable work that um, that that church and that Amy did. Amy spearheaded it. Now, Amy firmly believed that Christians were not only to be good, but to do good. And I'm going to repeat that because I want to emphasize that. And I think this is very important. Christians are not only to be good, but to do good. Now, she's not minimizing the importance of living a holy life, but she is saying that's not all there is to it, that you need to be good and do good to others. The church would donate money to disaster relief funds, including uh, for disasters that occurred in other countries. Jobs were found for prisoners that were just released from jail. There were women in the church that would make clothing, baby clothing, for young mothers in need. And they didn't care if they were mothers without fathers or not. If those little babies needed clothes, they knew they could come to Angela's Temple. Uh, The church had a food pantry. Uh, When disasters would strike in California, it was not at all uncommon for Angela's Temple's people to be uh, at the scene before the Red Cross got out. In one instance... Uh, The Angelus Temple crew was already delivering their second set of supplies by the time the Red Cross actually got there for the first time. Uh, All Amy had to do was get on her radio station. And by the way, she started the first 24-hour gospel radio station. She could go on that station, tell uh, her listeners that something had happened and supplies were needed, and people would respond and uh, uh, supplies Disaster relief supplies would start pouring in. Uh, The Angeles Temple Commissary was the only place in Los Angeles where someone could go to get food, clothing, and blankets, no questions asked. They didn't care how someone got into the mess they were in. All they cared about was what they could do to help. During the Depression, the Angeles Temple Commissary fed over 1.5 million people during the Great Depression. When the government-sponsored free lunch program in Los Angeles ended, Angeles Temple picked it up and kept it going. Angeles Temple had a free medical clinic that was staffed by health professionals that would volunteer their time. For those in danger of having their power shut off during the winter in the Great Depression, Angelus Temple arranged a slush fund with the local power company so that instead of someone's power getting cut off, the power company would reach into that slush fund to cover the bill. And remember, this was in a more urban area. It's not like they could just go out and chop some trees down and put some wood in their furnace. It didn't work that way in these urban areas. So Angelus Temple, they didn't even need to know. They, there was no questions asked. They didn't even need to know who it was. They just told the power company. If people are about to get their power cut off, we'll cover it. Now, the funds for all of this came from Amy and from her followers, from the people of Angela's Temple. Amy um, and her, 
her crew, they didn't care. Like I said earlier, they didn't care how someone got into the situation they were in. They didn't care about what religious uh, affiliation they were. They didn't care about uh, their uh, gender orientation. They didn't care if they were heterosexual or homosexual. They didn't care about any of that. If you had a need, they would help you. Now, Angelus Temple also had a 24-hour prayer meeting going on. People could send in their prayer request and know that somebody would be praying over it for them. Now, during the Depression, um, as I mentioned, they had the Angelus Temple Commissary. They had a bread line. Um, the building for that bread line was donated by a local taxi company, by the way. Well, observers, and this is mainly uh, newspaper reporters, noted that the breadline at Angelus Temple had a much more happy, hopeful atmosphere than any other breadline in Los Angeles. Now, Angelus Temple also set up an employment bureau to put people that needed jobs in contact with those that needed employees. And so they would work to try to help people find jobs. Even if it was just part-time or temporary work, they would help people find, uh, find a job. Now, noted Latino actor Anthony Quinn claimed that Amy single-handedly kept the Hispanic population of L.A. from starving during the Depression. In fact, he told a story about his mother, or it may have been his grandmother, uh, was, the family was Catholic, she was very ill, and some people from Angelus Temple had come to pray for her, and he, being a very devout Catholic and a, a boy, he chased them off. But his uh, grandmother, she got well. And so he became very active in Angelus Temple during his younger years. But he said that Amy and the people of Angelus Temple were key to keeping people from starving to death in the Los Angeles area. And so again, remember what Amy said, that the Lord doesn't just intend for us to be good, but to do good. And that was a huge part of Angelus Temple. It wasn't just about people uh, getting together for church services, but it was reaching out to the community and helping the community. Now, someone had asked, you know, didn't they worry about being taken advantage of, especially, you know, no questions asked. And Amy said that she felt like the Lord would handle that. They would answer to the Lord for that and that she believed the Lord would help them with, uh, with all of that. That wasn't theirs to worry about. That was the Lord's responsibility. Well, um, Amy also was quite outspoken in politics, and um, I've probably said this before. When I talk about Amy, I don't necessarily agree with everything that she did. So, um, I just so you know, if I talk about something like Amy be, uh, talking about politics from the pulpit, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I'm just stating facts here. But she was very outspoken on politics and made her opinions well known and made a lot of enemies. Uh, one aspect of this is, you know, she would research who the candidates were and then put together a, uh, her list of who she recommended that people vote for, which, you know, that that will definitely make you enemies. Now, people have noted that Amy's political leanings were more candidate-based than they were party-based. She looked more at what a candidate represented as opposed to what party they were from. And she was also 
considered neither left-leaning or right-leaning. Again, she didn't she didn't uh, subscribe to any particular political party that anyone could ever figure out or any particular set of beliefs except um, a candidate's stands and how those um, complied with what the Bible taught. Okay. Now, this is interesting. The Foursquare Church recently came out and made a statement about Amy Simple McPherson's political views. They made it very clear in this statement that Amy would not be in favor of the extreme fundamentalist right-wing Christianity. Now, I'm going to say that again because I think I slurred the last bit. But Amy would not be in favor of the extreme fundamentalist right-wing Christianity. That's interesting. It's interesting that they felt there was a need to speak up about that also. Now, Amy suffered a lot of attacks on her character. A lot of them were from the press or by just regular people. In fact, one time she actually got a letter that said that if she didn't pay this person X amount of money, then nude photos of her would be released. Well, Amy wasn't particularly worried about that. She got on her radio station and mentioned the letter and she said that there were no nude photos of her in existence. But nowadays, with Photoshop, you know, they could do some scary things. So that would be a bigger, uh, more of a threat uh, in modern times. But at that time, she was able to just blow it off and say, Listen, there are no nude photos of me. I am not worried. I'm not paying, paying you any money. But um, in her later years, as Amy began to hang out more with, uh, I guess, what you might call the Hollywood elite... Some of her church leadership was concerned that Amy was backsliding. They were so convinced, as a matter of fact, that Amy was misbehaving that one of the church leaders hired a private investigator to follow Amy to see what she was up to. So that private investigator, he stalked her and he watched Amy like a hawk, especially her late night activities because Amy was known for staying up late. So... He was there uh, with his camera, with, a, I'm assuming, a telephoto lens or uh, possibly some binoculars watching through Amy's window. And he said that he spent hours watching Amy, working on sermons, working on um, cantatas, working on drawing up set plans for her illustrated sermons. He was not able to catch Amy doing anything questionable. Now, that's pretty good. If they can hire a private investigator to follow you and they can't find anything questionable, that is good. But that gives you an idea of how suspicious people were of Amy. And that had to be, uh, that had to be painful. That had to hurt some. But, so that was uh, some of the attacks on her character. Well, no story about Amy Simple McPherson is complete without dealing with Amy's disappearance. On May 18, 1926, Amy went with her secretary to Venice Beach to swim and get some work done. She never could just have fun. She always had to tie work in with it. Of course, to Amy, a lot of her work was truly, truly enjoyable. Well, Amy disappeared. Could not find her. Amy was gone for five weeks. Divers went out to look for her body, assuming she had drowned. Her own mother decided that Amy must be dead if she was gone for this long. So on the day that they were making plans for her memorial service, 
there was a call that came in. And one of the instructors at Life Bible College, uh, Dr. Roy Gray, was told that Amy was alive. She was in a hospital in Douglas, Arizona, and Dr. Gray was sent to pick her up. Amy had been kidnapped. Now remember, Amy was a big figure in California at this time. She was in the newspapers a lot. She was in newsreels. She was very well-known personality. And um, it would be expected kidnappers could get a pretty good ransom for somebody of Amy's notoriety and uh, Amy's stature in the community. Well, what happened was Amy was at the beach and a woman comes up to her and says, Would you please, Sister McPherson, come pray for my little girl. She's in the back of my car and she's very sick. Amy would not turn down an opportunity to pray for somebody. So Amy followed her, especially when it was a little kid. So Amy leans over into the back seat of the sedan and realizes there's no kid in the back seat. And just as she's about to back out, someone clamps over her nose with a lace handkerchief that is filled with chloroform, and Amy's unconscious. She was kidnapped. She was taken into uh, Mexico, into the desert, and held in a rundown shack for five weeks. Um, she was not uh, sexually assaulted. Uh, to the best of my understanding, she was also not physically assaulted beyond being kidnapped and tied up. Um, but Amy managed to escape. Leave it to Amy. I am not at all surprised Amy would escape from kidnappers. She got away from her kidnappers while they left to run some errands. She gets out of the shack and realizes she is in the desert. And there's not really much of a sign of life anywhere. But she's determined to get away. So, to avoid walking in circles, Amy gets uh, in her sights a mountain that she sees, and she starts walking towards that mountain. She uh, walked between 11 and 13 hours and covered a distance of 20 miles in the desert, in the sun, with no water. Now, she collapsed eventually. She made it to a town, I believe it's pronounced Aguaprieta, Sonora, and she collapsed there. And the people realized that she uh, was most likely an American citizen, so they took her to a hospital in Douglas, Arizona. Uh, now, it turns out that Angela's Temple had received multiple, multiple ransom notes for Amy. Um, but these were hoaxes. They were getting ransom notes from everybody and their dog, but these people didn't have Amy. They were just looking for a way to make money off of her disappearance. Uh, the police did investigate one of the ransom notes, but apparently, somewhere in the mix, the real ransom note for Amy got, uh, got overlooked. Well, you can imagine her family's joy and relief when they find Amy. You know, Amy is alive. She's not dead. Uh, there's a picture that shows Amy in the hospital. Uh, her mom is beaming. Her uh, daughter, Roberta, is absolutely beaming. Her son is trying to look, uh, it looks like, in my opinion, he's trying to look manly for the camera, but his bow tie is crooked, and I suspect that's probably from hugging his mother. So you can imagine the family's relief and the church's relief that Amy is still alive. Well, Amy's enemies had their own ideas of what Amy had been up to, and the attacks from the press when they found out Amy was alive, man, they were bad. They, fought, they printed every rumor that came up about Amy. 
Um, these P rumors were being published, and there were people that did not like Amy, and they wanted to believe them. You know, we need to remember that as a part of our human nature, our human nature wants to believe the worst about our enemies and about people we don't like. But we should not believe things unless we know for a fact they're true. Well, Amy was being uh, attacked in the press. And so it reached the point that Amy filed a lawsuit trying to get this mess settled once and for all. So a grand jury was convened to see if there was enough evidence to indict any kidnappers. They never figured out who the kidnappers were. But they wanted to see if there was enough evidence to indict. Well, first of all, people claimed Amy couldn't have walked that far. A uh, newspaper reporter headed out into that desert, the very desert where Amy had been. And he clocked, or I shouldn't say clocked, he walked in the desert without water over similar terrain for a similar amount of time as did Amy. And he said that while it was uncomfortable and it was difficult, that he had no doubt that a healthy person like Amy or himself could definitely have done that. Um, and before long, the trial, instead of trying to indict kidnappers, turned into a trial of Amy's character. Now, um, the prosecutor that was supposed to be trying to you know, find out if kidnappers were responsible. He was determined to destroy Amy. And he was not an honest man. Um, later on, uh, six of his convictions were overturned because things had not been handled correctly. The Los Angeles justice system at this time was very corrupt. Now, some of you might be familiar with the story, true story, that was presented in the movie The Changeling, starring Angelina Jolie, where um, a woman's son was kidnapped. And the police brought a boy to her and said, this is your son. And she said, this isn't my son. And it turned into a nightmare for everyone involved. Well, those were the same people that were after Amy, that same justice system. Uh, they tried to say that Amy had run off with her former radio operator, a man by the name of Kenneth Ormiston, who had recently left his wife. He had been seen... Uh, for a couple of weeks in, I think, another area of California with a woman that bore a passing resemblance to Amy. Um, he was finally brought up as a witness before the court and said that he was not with Amy. He presented the woman he was with that was not his wife and said, you know, this was wrong to be attacking Amy in this way. She was not that kind of woman. They had never had any kind of a romantic relationship. And then they things started getting ridiculous. They started grasping at straws and trying to destroy Amy. And it seemed like the more witnesses they brought in, the more the witnesses against Amy began to disagree with each other. Their testimonies were conflicting. The more evidence they tried to bring in to cast a shadow on Amy's character, the more the evidence began to fall apart. Um, and to give you an idea of how ridiculous this trial became, uh, they accused Amy of wearing a wig or a hairpiece or something. They said that wasn't really her hair, as if that made any difference whatsoever. And Amy took it just kind of good-natured, and she said, I can prove to you, Your Honor, that this really is my hair. And Amy proceeded to take off her hat and take down her long hair. It was in an updo. She took it down. 
laid out those bobby pins on the table in front of her and showed everybody this is all my hair it's all attached to my head of course let's be honest if you paid for it it's your hair but that's beside the point then amy goes flip 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 puts it back up and the courtroom roars with laughter except for um asa keys the prosecutor and his his i'm gonna call them minions but you can see how things got ridiculous well finally amy was cleared in the eyes of the court they believed that she was kidnapped they did not know who the kidnappers were, but they did agree that Amy had been kidnapped. However, the damage was still done uh, in the things that the press had, uh, the rumors the press had printed, and the uh, accusations made by uh, Asa Keys and his people. There was damage done, but um, I think it's neat that Amy was able to be cleared in the eyes of the court. So the Lord was taking care of Amy. So that's uh, some of Amy's adventures in the City of Angels. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed this. And I hope that you uh, found it kind of interesting. And just remember, if you are like Amy and you're being attacked and people are telling lies about you, just keep serving the Lord and let the Lord handle it. Let the Lord handle the lies. Let the Lord handle those accusers. Uh, the Lord can protect us and clear our names far better than we can. And too many times uh, when, pe we, when we wade into the muck trying to defend ourselves, we only make things worse. But um, I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you for listening.